The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. It is a macro day today. We're talking about inflation on the back of that CPI print uh, this morning, certainly moving markets. We're going to roundtable uh, this discussion here in this segment. Vince Signorella, Bloomberg News macro strategist, and Jennifer Lee, Senior Economist and Managing Director at BMO Capital Markets. Jennifer, love to start with you here. What's your takeaway from this inflation print we saw this morning? Uh, good morning. So, you know what? What really worries me right now is that here we are midway through October, and we're all like sort of reeling from this September CPI number. And I think there's going to be more to come. And I actually told someone, and I'm going to humbly tell you guys this, you know, I told someone uh, last week, oh, you know, September CPI is going to be important, but I think it'll be less important because October is going to be the one to watch. And I was referring to that because of these OPEC plus production cuts, you know, um, um, and it's going to be upward pressure for energy. But, you know, I wasn't expecting, you know, such broad, really, really broad-based gains that we saw in this report. So this is troubling, obviously, and you're seeing, you know, the, the reaction of the markets and, uh you know, and uh, so, of course, the question is going to be what happens to the Fed and, uh, you know, is their credibility going to be at stake? You know, they might be saying we, we might even have to raise rates longer. And I think we cannot completely discount the possibility of a bigger hike in November. Yeah, what about more? Though. Vince, what about 100 basis points in November? I think that would show a little bit of a sign of panic. Uh, first, let me say I love Jennifer's work. I do read her material. Uh, and it's very good and very informative. And if you don't, you should. Um, I, my worry here, and you know you've heard me say this a million times, is that this is a systemic supply chain problem, and the Fed is basically trying to fix a leaky pipe with a hammer. I, I don't see how monetary policy is going to – crush demand, if you will. What we need to do is increase supply. And I know that takes time. But if the Fed is too impatient and raises too aggressively and doesn't give it an opportunity to work its way through the system, I believe without question there is a sheer danger that he's going to do exactly what he's trying to avoid, which is drive us into a stay inflation scenario, because wages are not going to keep pace. And COLA was announced today, the Bureau of Labor Statistics announced a Social Security increase next year of 8.7%. That's not going to happen to the average worker going into next year. So you're going to see a decline in, in um, uh, uh, spending power. And go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, I, just, I, I get the supply chain problems. Yesterday we had a great story in the terminal about Jim Bullard trying to buy a bicycle. <laughs> and it, it took him so long. Did you see that? Steve Matthews wrote a great piece. First, they told him, like, it's going to be a year. <laughs> and then he was, I guess he complained and said, listen, I'm on the Fed, damn it. And so then they <laughs> no gave way. it to him in four months. But they delivered it to him with a with a bill for an extra 200 bucks because they said, dude, prices have gone up since you ordered this. Um, so the supply chain problems are clear, but it looks like the issues in this print were shelter, so rent, mm -hmm. food, which I don't think that's a supply chain issue, and medical care, which definitely isn't. So, Jennifer, where, where do you 
how do you see this coming down? Where do I begin? I mean, food. I mean, you, you got to eat, right? But there's also Mother Nature playing a role in that as well. Um, you know, and of course the war, and that that's dragging on and on and on, and that's also causing upward pressure on food. True. We can't forget. Uh, we can't forget pr- the. I mean, Ukraine is the breadbasket of the East, so. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, shelter. You know, it's it's like a big chunk of CPI, and and there's also a leg on that. So this is what's going to happen when you have. You know that that the big housing uh, um, boom last year. So this is almost a leg lagging effect. Um, and um, what else is there? So Medical by care. the way, supply chain issues. I should also mention. You know there was like news overnight that, uh, and I kind of went, oh great, when I saw this headline that Shanghai is back to introducing yep. more restrictions again. Apparently, a bunch of bars and restaurants are closed again. And I was like, oh great, here we go again. So there's there's still you know some of that uh, working through the system. Um, um, so I, I don't think we can completely discount all the supply pressures. At least we're getting some of the autos back on back into the lots. But you know, like there, there's still all those um, computer chips that are still short. I think Honda um, recently was saying that they are cutting production. This is in Japan, but still, like with the big picture, you know, because they're still short a lot of um, materials. So they had to cut their production plans for the month of October as well. So it's almost like everything is piling on um, when it should have been easing at this point. So this is what is quite worrying. Right. Finch, do you think the, the markets are pricing in a flat-out recession in the, in the near term? I don't know if they fully priced it in, but just about everybody I talk to is absolutely convinced it's going to happen um, no, no later than the first quarter of 2023. Uh, honestly, not sure how it's not going to happen. I mean, we're, I'm really curious to see what the retail sales number is going to be yep. tomorrow, um, uh, that's going to be uh, enormously interesting. I think we've, I think what the Fed has done, and if you look at mortgage rates today, nearly seven percent, the highest in twenty years. You can't say you've not squashed demand with, with with what you've already done, and we're not even taking account to what the balance, the shrinking of the balance sheet is doing. Um, and and so yeah. you know we saw what happened in the UK with systemic risk and, and the change in financial conditions. Not really seeing it here just yet, but you know, really interesting to see how markets grabbed a hold of that yesterday and rallied when sort of the, the UK backed off a little bit. Um, will the Fed break the financial conditions in the United States to that extent? It's anybody's guess. You really don't know. They keep saying banks are highly, much more capitalized, yep. uh, but you know, no one saw 2008 coming either. So. Yeah, exactly. All Except right. for Gary Schilling, who yesterday <laughs> uh, was on our air and said, listen, no one has stimmies anymore. Housing prices are going down. Stocks have gotten crushed. Um, you got to worry about this consumer. Got to worry about the consumer. We'll see tomorrow with some retail sales. Jennifer Lee, Senior Economist and Managing Director at BMO Capital Markets, and Vince Signorella. He covers all things markets strategy here for Bloomberg News. Uh, both join us, giving us their thoughts on these markets, which are feeling the impact of higher inflation print this morning. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com. 
Still, we got red on the screen here. S&P off eight tenths of one percent, but we're rallying off the bottom a little bit. So we'll see how this thing trades uh, this afternoon. We'll hand it off to Carol Master and Tim Stenovic. See, see if they can do something with these markets this they, afternoon. Never good. I don't know when but you pass see. them the reins. I know. You know? Mona Mahajan. How do I pronounce your last name? Mahajan. 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 Mo Mona Mahajan joins us in studio. So I get to ask her actually uh, in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. She's a senior investment strategist for Edward Jones. Mona, what do you make of this print today? Did it confirm kind of what you guys were thinking at Edward Jones? Did it was it kind of an aha moment? Like, oh boy, we got more to go here. How did you guys think about it? Yeah, you know, generally coming in, we were expecting probably a softer print on the headline, but we were expecting that core to remain elevated. And look, this core number is sticky and it's broader based than probably any of us had thought it would be. But the good news or perhaps a silver lining is that when you look at the underlying fundamentals, in inflation, um, they've actually been all moving in the right direction. You know, not only things like break-even rates, um, uh, inflation expectations, ISM prices paid, even to some extent commodities, which have been volatile. Um, the tougher part has been the shelter and rent components of core CPI. And as we know, they move with a lag. And in fact, when you look at underlying mortgage rates, housing prices, housing demand, even rental prices, we're starting to see them moderate shift lower, but it will take six to 12 months to show up in CPI. So we all know that. And hopefully the Fed will acknowledge that at some point. Well, the Fed, I mean, it, it's pretty much a lock. They're going 75 in November. It's just, I think, two weeks away, right? And, uh, three, uh, yeah, three weeks. weeks. Yep. In any case, um, the question is what they do after that, right? Are they going to front load everything this year and then sit on it next year? Yeah, you know, we're hopeful that they continue to go at a gradual pace, maybe for longer. You know, we don't want anything to happen like what we saw in the UK markets. We don't want dysfunctioning. We don't want credit markets, um, liquidity issues to arise. And we really want to see a more um, even keeled, less panic approach to what the Fed is doing. So perhaps 75 this this uh, November meeting is locked in. Markets are now pricing in another 75 in December. Maybe they start to moderate after that, 50 or 25 in February. But generally speaking, I think markets were priced for four and a half to four and three quarters. We're now looking at a 5% terminal rate. I was so. talking to Steve Blitz um, earlier this morning, and he was saying, you know, we just have this demographics problem because everybody who left the workforce who was, you know, already sort of retirement age or close during the pa pandemic is gone. They're not coming back. And then Gen Z is apparently a smaller group than uh, the millennials. So the labor market's just going to remain tight unless, I mean, it's unlikely that the Biden administration starts to issue a ton of visa, uh, working visas. Mm -hmm. uh, they think there are almost 2 million people waiting for them who are going to have real trouble getting them in any short amount of time. Um, so they just have to get unemployment higher. Yeah, Fed. you know, it's an interesting point you bring up. We saw labor force participation tick downward yep. in the last labor report. That wasn't a great signal. Um, but over time, as people's savings start to draw down, as maybe the wage gains moderate or at least don't keep up with inflation, uh, people are going to have to start coming back to the workforce in some to some extent. You bring up a good longer term issue, though. Longer term labor force is declining here in the U.S. unless we do something with immigration, to your point. And that does weigh on longer term uh, potential growth for the U.S., but not a near term problem. Near term, I think we will see softness in the unemployment rate over the next 12 to 24 months. Again, there's a lag impact there. So the Fed will start now. We won't see it until about six to 12 months from now, uh, but probably coming and probably what we need to see in order to get uh, supply and demand back in check. All right, so Mona, given that background, given that interest rate background, the <clears throat> economic outlook, what do you tell 
the good folks at Edward Jones, you know, they've got their clients out there all over the country. Edward Jones has offices. What do you tell them about mm. what to do in this market? Because they got crushed with their equities this year. Fixed income also, you know, worst year ever is what yeah. the pros tell me. Yeah. Man, what do you tell them? Yeah, it's been an unprecedented first nine to 10 months in this market. It's been a challenge for diversified investors, for investors that are more equity focused, more fixed income focused across the board. Now, what we will say is we're probably getting closer to the end rather than, you know, at the start of this Fed rate hiking cycle, at the start of this inflation uh, elevation cycle. And so the good news is uh, if we do see at some point a Fed funds terminal rate or a peak rate, yields tend to peak a couple months ahead of that. And so there is becoming more and more of an interesting opportunity. We have a lot of clients that are very heavily weighted in shorter duration uh, bonds, CDs, you know, great source of income for now. Over time, we think there's a, an opportunity. CDs, to again, I know. hearing mentions of CDs. CDs are, are hot. a decade without talking about CDs. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, but we think there's an opportunity to complement these short-term investments with longer duration, maybe some investment-grade bonds that you're locking in close to 4% rates for a longer period of time. And now is a good opportunity to start thinking about that, certainly in the weeks ahead. Um, similarly with equities, you know, of course, we're down 25% in the S&P. Growth has gotten killed even more than that. Um, and over time, there's an opportunity to complement some of those value-defensive parts of the market with probably more growth, more tech, as we head towards uh, a peak in yields, a stabilization, and a move lower. But you know, perhaps early days, but a good time to start thinking about that portfolio diversification. What do you think about the private markets? Um, we've been hearing a lot more yeah, about yeah. that lately as well. Yeah. And I think uh, retail interest is really growing. Yeah. You know, if you don't have liquidity needs in the near term, private markets are interesting. I think uh, not as volatile, of course, probably offer that diversification you're looking for. Uh, will they rebound as much as the equity market may in the months or, you know, a couple of years ahead? Maybe not. But I think in any allocation or any portfolio, you can consider a 5 to 10%, maybe even more, depending on your uh, investment horizon into private markets. I think it's a great source of diversification. Is there any sector in the equity space that you're telling your folks, sharpen your pencils now because when we do see a bottom in this market or this market does turn or we start getting out of the heavy, heavy selling, this is where you might want to have What to buy after the yeah. Fed's last rate hike. Yeah. So. No, I think, you know, it's a great point. And look, we've, we've been talking about staples and healthcare for months now. Yeah. I, I do think healthcare is an interesting one because it can offer you some growth and some kind of value components to it. There's parts of healthcare that are very much focused on biotech or, um, you know, next generation technologies. Uh, but interestingly, of course, consumer discretionary and technology at the core is probably where we would um, hunt if we did think a, a peak in yields was ahead of us. And I think um, it's a great way, again, to, to barbell your portfolio. And I think that that theme will play out. Keep in mind when equity or economic growth slows, investors do tend to look for growth in their portfolios. So. All right, good stuff. Mona, really appreciate you stopping by, coming uh, into Great our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Suda. Mona Mahajan, Senior Investment Strategist, Edward Jones. She was on with John She was Farrow. on with Farrow earlier Survived today. Survived that. On Bloomberg Surveillance. It's tough. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, you know, when you get a big, dour uh, John Farrell on, on a inflation well, day. Well, and a know, huge print like this. A huge yeah. print, yeah. So it was much, and radio is much more fun anyway, so let's, let's be honest. All right, looking at these markets here, hey, you know, the bad news is S&P's off um, 7 tenths of 1%. Uh, the good news is it's uh, well off its bottom of the day. So we'll see how this market uh, trades uh, this afternoon. And yields a uh, two-year 
4.45% on your two-year note. All right, let's dig into the CPI data. Uh, came in hotter than expected this morning, putting some more pressure on the Federal Reserve to keep those rates higher. Uh, let's bring in a Bloomberg Markets reporter, Kriti Gupta. Uh, she joins us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio and Bloomberg Economics Chief U.S. Economist, Anna Wong. Anna, I'll start with you. Uh, boy, you were early, and it looks like you were right. This Federal Reserve is going to need to keep interest rates higher and probably for longer. What's your latest thinking? Yeah, so so the latest thinking is still the same as we had in uh, two two months ago when we made that call. So look, when we made that call, we had the idea that inflation is going to be more persistent and stickier. And for today's CPI, we were also the highest on the street. We were calling for 0.6% core CPI inflation. Um, and, and we were right. And, and, and I think the, the insight there is that there's just a part of the economy which is being very sticky inflation. And we're not talking about just shelter. I mean, everybody knows that shelter cost is going to come down next year because the um, the way that shelter cost is measured, it, it lags private measures by about a year. So that's going to come down. But the other stuff, like your car insurance premium, your like when your car broke down, it, you need to pay take take you know pay to take care take care of the repairs. All those are still in a catch up phase. Or if you up- break down, right? Medical care is also more expensive. <laughs> Uh, medical care, that's a tricky part because starting next month, there's a little quirk in how it's measured that's going to produce a drag. But, you know, it does not, you know, it does not negate the experience that households are seeing, which is that their physician bills are higher or, you know. So so I think the, the point is that next year, I think it's quite unlikely for inflation to fall below 3%. Our risk model is saying that, 68% chance of inflation being between 3 and 5% next year. By the way, can I just say my daughter knocked her head on the table. Yeah. We had to go to the hospital. She got eight stitches. Whoa. $4,000 in change. Wow. Yep. How is that possible? But she's better. Well, she's fine. It just, it's very expensive. It is. So, Critty, I mean, we've got this higher print here today. Stocks and bonds are reacting, but it seems kind of rational here. It feels a little bit, you know, stocks are coming off the bottoms a little bit. So I'm just, I guess the market's just trying to digest. It's It's not not a panic. panic. Right. Well, it was. I think the knee jerk was certainly yes, panic, right and it was the there. Open, yep. Yeah, and it was there. It was down there for I want to say at least thirty minutes of trading. Um, to, to see them paired, I think the way it's being interpreted is simply that. And once again, we were talking about this a lot. It's about the second derivative. It's about the deceleration. The the going into a third month where you are now expecting a CPI print to drop further below 8.1%, I think what it does is just kind of drop the bar even lower. Um, when you have two months now where you have inflation estimated at 8.1% two months they've missed it so once again the bar for the equity market is going to be even lower so reacting to any positive news there and i think perhaps is that early sentiment they might be trading on a little bit but honestly i to me it does also feel like a move to the dollar a little bit the move to yields as you see yields come back down the dollar follow i think you're seeing um, an inverse reaction in the equity market anna since you and your team have been so hot at predicting this stuff we got retail sales tomorrow you want to give me a, a thought of what you think you might happen there um, so, 
So I think that what 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 it is is that um, what's driving inflation right now, um, according to, to our whole, we have a whole bunch of models that we look at, is is that we see a slight revival of U.S. demand. Um, perhaps because the last three months we have seen oil prices coming down and households have um, more slightly better resources freed up for for discretionary spending. But still, I so I think that the retail sales to print tomorrow would be better than what we had seen a couple months ago when everybody was talking about recession. But we are entering into a downshift in spending um, as you know gas gasoline prices climb back up again. So whatever good news we have tomorrow won't last. Yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna say we're starting to see those commodities prices rise again. We're hearing concerns about um, China uh, going into lock Shanghai going into lockdown again. Was it Shanghai? Shanghai, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the, Vince Signorello was telling us he thinks these supply chain pressures are are the real problem here. Do you agree? Well, I, I think the supply chain pressure was the problem in the first phase, initial phase of this inflation uh, um, period, high inflation period. But now it's it's no longer the core driver of inflation. It's rather wages trying to catch up to high inflation. The Dow actually turns positive here, up uh, 41 points on, on the Dow here. Uh, and just real quick, uh, is a recession where where are you in terms of a recession call? And, and I'd get a sense of how long it might be, how deep it might be, or what are you guys thinking? Our baseline is for a recession to begin in, around the middle of next year. Um, I I myself am, am increasing increasingly of the thinking that it might be not a shallow one. It could be a deep one because the Fed is is keen on holding rates higher for longer. And in all the past recessions, the Fed would cut in the middle of the recession, which provides some stimulus to the economy. We are unlikely to see that in this this uh, current downturn. And also, I, I think that the, the there are still a lot of buffers in the economy. For example, at the state and local government level, there's still a lot of cash that's left over from the pandemic stimulus. Uh, we're estimating probably um, about $780 billion still, still of extra buffer at the state and local level. Um, I live in Virginia. I just got $500 tax rebate from the nice. Virginia governor. All right. Um, put, put it all in red. That, that's my recommendation. Put it all in red. Yeah. But but just saying that there's still a lot of juice in the economy. And um, while lower, lower income uh, households may have seen their excess savings depleted, the wealthier people still have a lot in their bank cash of cash in their bank accounts. All right. Good, good stuff there. We really appreciate it. Uh, Chief U.S. Economist for Bloomberg, Anna Wong, uh, and Kriti Gupta, Bloomberg Markets correspondent, uh, who was here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Just doing a little roundtable there on that inflation uh, data. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
a look at some stocks because we've actually had some earnings uh, over the last uh, 24 hours. And one of the names that kind of jumps out at me a little bit is Walgreens Boots. Walgreens, we have a Walgreens right around the corner here from here at Bloomberg. They're all over the place, the drugstore train, but they do so much more. Uh, Jonathan Palmer joins us here. Jonathan Palmer is an analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. He joins us live in a Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. He's not phoning it in today. Uh, they had some better than expected results today, Jonathan. What, what are you taking away from this? Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me on. So Walgreens reported this morning, and really, if, if we want to put some context around the, the report, expectations were very low. I mean, Walgreens has been <laughs> a huge beneficiary of vaccinations, testing, yes, right. and obviously with people going and getting lower boosters and, and COVID levels going down, they were seen as this huge kind of headwind, uh, you know, year over year approaching their fiscal 2023. So the guidance they gave uh, on next year actually met expectations, which I think was a, a bit of a surprise. And the company had a two-hour uh, call where they really got granular about their efforts to transform the company from you know what we think of as just a traditional pharmacy into more of a healthcare service provider. What are they saying about inflation? How's that impacting their margins? Yeah, so they've talked about it from a couple different angles. You know, they've had wave, wage inflation over the last year, year and a half. You know, they've had a hard time keeping uh, pharmacists and pharmacy techs, and they've been paying those people more. They see the wages or uh, their hiring actually improving over the last two months. It's interesting. You guys were just talking about China. You know, a lot of the products that, that kind of go in that front of store, you know, uh, of, of Walgreens come from China. And they said they're, they're actually seeing some of those supply challenges ease right now. Wow. Uh, That's interesting. So, but you're talking about, so when we think about Walgreens, we think about the drugstore chains. But you say they're trying to kind of transform themselves into a more of a, a broader healthcare company. How are they doing that? It's taking a couple different uh, tacks. So the, the probably the most uh, obvious one is they uh, made a big investment into a company called Village MD and are moving some of those clinics into their stores. They've been acquiring other assets that are kind of pharmacy or healthcare related, uh, especially a pharmacy called Shields. They just closed an acquisition called CareCentric earlier this week that does a lot of home health. There's a lot of move from traditional healthcare settings into the home. So they're trying to capitalize on this shift of healthcare, you know, from traditional providers into uh, different locations and, and kind of capitalize that with their, their, their footprint. I mean, they have uh, competition, right? Because I'm sure all the other drugstore chains, I know CVS is trying to do that as well. That's right. CVS is there with uh, their health hubs. You know, we've got Amazon trying to buy or in the process of buying one medical We've got the big insurers moving and buying providers. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to say they're the tip of the spear in, in this, mm. uh, this strategy, but they're, they're definitely making an effort to transform, you know, what has been kind of a, a business under pressure the last couple of years. So just for like a, an average Walgreens or an average CVS store, what's the revenue breakdown between the prescription part of the business and the toothpaste and the shampoo and all that other stuff. <laughs> so traditionally, you know, kind of the rule of thumb in the pharmacy space, about 70% of uh, sales come from the pharmacy and the rest is what they call retail or front end. All right. So that business, is it just like the rest of retail? It's kind of under pressure from e-commerce or just... I don't know, other, some of those pressures? Exactly. You know, you've had the Amazon impact, you've had Walmart, you've had Costco kind of eating away at those, those retail margins over the last couple of years. So these companies are looking for ways to reinvent themselves. And, and you know, people, you know, I think the, the, the statistic is something along the lines of, you know, like 90% of uh, the U.S. population lives within like five miles of a CVS or a Walgreens. Well, so they're, they're, Cracker Barrel can say 90% <laughs> of their customers 
come within, you know, or 90% of their stores are within one mile of an exit off a freeway. So I get where you're going with that. So the idea is that, you know, go to where the, the patients are, right? And they're, yeah. they're increasingly at home. So, you know, they're, they're looking at their footprint and saying, how do we, how do we squeeze more dollars out of the, these stores? Are, are any of the companies in your universe um, lacking funding? Because financing costs are climbing. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, that came up on the call this morning. Uh, Walgreens is kind of a, a little bit unique in that they own a couple of big stakes in some other companies. They own about 25% of uh, their distributor, Marisource Bergen. They've been trying to sell their Boots Pharmacy for the last year or so. That's kind of uh, pending right yep. now. So they haven't had those same kind of capital constraints. But, you know, most of the companies that I cover are big healthcare incumbents. They're pretty profitable. They have access to capital. It's not really an issue for these kind of uh, bolt-on acquisitions they want to do. All right, great stuff. Jonathan Palmer, Bloomberg Intelligence, covers a lot of the healthcare space and the retail side of the healthcare space uh, as well. Let's get right to it. Jeff Cleveland, Director and Chief Economist for Payton and Regal, uh, joins us on the phone. So, Jeff, this inflation print came in pretty darn hot. Um, Ugly. Yes, thank you. What are your thoughts? <laughs> what, are you, what are you telling your clients? Well, the problem here is that everyone thought that inflation was going to moderate and the hope was that goods prices would fade. So like used car prices would go down, which they did in this month's report. And then that would track down overall inflation. But that hasn't happened. The services side has continued to accelerate. So this is a really, really nasty report. Um, if you look at uh, shelter, for example, up uh, 0.7, 0.8 percent month to month medical care costs up 0.8 percent it's those services numbers that are sticky and i think will continue to boost core inflation uh at least for the next few months and possibly well into next year so that means you know core inflation year on year remains right around where it is uh 6.6 to 7 percent um into the middle of next year and i think that is a really nasty situation for the Federal Reserve mm. and in turn for for investors. So right. Just well, uh, what is going on in the equity markets? We were down more than two percent on the S and P. Now we're up one point two percent. You know, we're yeah. we're looking at an over a thousand point swing on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, currently gaining four hundred and fifty points. Why are investors buying this? I don't know. You, you got to talk to the producer here. He brought a, a bond market economist to talk about the equity <laughs> market here. I don't know. I mean, my, my gut tells me it's probably positioning, uh, but there are people far, far, more, far better on this. That's topic. what we're no. That's what I, we're hearing I, as well. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the the issue here for me is okay. If we're going to see this kind of momentum month to month and in inflation carrying us through year end, then the Fed goes seventy five in November. It's quite likely they go 75 in December. The Fed funds rate gets to 5% very soon here. Um, do two-year yields at 440, 443 make sense? Probably not in my view. Two-year yields have to go higher, probably up closer to 5 or even above 5% uh, because the Fed is going to get to 5 and they're going to stay there for a while if they really intend on bringing inflation down. So that, to me, is not a good mix for equities in the short run. Um, so that, that's kind of my rough take. What's your uh, recession call, uh, Jeff? Um, and I guess its question is kind of timing, uh, duration, you know, depth, those types of things. How are, what are you thinking about that today? Well, I'm a simple man. So I think the fact that the unemployment rate fell last month is probably tells us we're not in a recession. 
Generally, the unemployment rate is rising when you're in a recession. So we're, maybe we're not there yet. It just hasn't started. Uh, the other way to, I like to look at it is three-month uh, you know, T-bills versus 10-year yields. When that yield curve slope inverts, that starts the clock. And, and there can be a lag. I mean, it could be 9 to 12 months before the start of the recession. So right now, you know, that kind of argues for us maybe going into recession second half of next year. So it's something that's still off on the horizon. Is it, I think the other question, shallow, everyone's in the shallow camp. So that kind of makes me nervous. You know, you hear a lot of like, eh, it'll be, a, we'll have a recession, sure, but it'll be mild. I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, on the one hand, you have aggressive Fed tightening, which is likely to continue given the inflation backdrop. So that means you could have a, a much harder landing. And the second thing is this has just been an unusual uh, macro cycle. We had a huge amount of stimulus. We had a huge shift in consumer behavior as it shifts back. Uh, maybe you have a more significant downturn. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, can't rule that out. I, I guess there are, it happens once in a while when you get super hammered and then the next day you're kind of okay. And you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that worked out. But for the most part, when you drink this much, you know, you're out sick. Yeah. People say, well, where's the imbalance, Jeffrey? I mean, we don't see it. Consumers look good. Household balance sheets look good. And I say, well, you know, the imbalance this time around was on the fiscal and monetary support. There was an unusual and epic amount of stimulus provided. Yes, perhaps at the time it made sense given what was expected to happen with COVID. But nonetheless, it was huge. It was, you know, two to three trillion in, in money transferred to households that went into spending. And that has to unwind at some point. So right. Well, and all, the other thing true. is, I mean, does the consumer look good? Um, Brett Favre got paid, but there were a lot of other people that found it more difficult to access that fiscal stimulus. And maybe, you know, luxury apartments are still going for a lot. First class tickets are going to be selling. You know, yacht well, we'll sales will, won't get hurt that much, but it's going to be harder for the other half. Yeah, well, we'll see how the uh, retail sales comes in uh, tomorrow. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us. Jeffrey Cleveland, director and chief economist for Payton and Regal. He's the guy that did the Triple Crown of swimming. I mean, around Manhattan, we went out the Catalina Channel. He did the English Channel. I don't know what possesses people to do that kind of stuff, but he did it. Good for him. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.